Well, good morning. For those of you who have not met me yet, I'm Scott Rowan. I have the joy of serving as the interim in adult ministries here at Lakes. And uh, it's been my joy to get to know lots of wonderful leaders, to serve on a great staff. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a great joy to uh, work with Jason. Uh, Pastor Jason's a uh, he really loves his staff. He loves us and cares for us. And now it's our chance to support him and surround him with some love and compassion too. So trust you'll be praying for him as he recovers from this bout of uh, illness that he's going through today. I'd like to uh, draw your attention to the Sermon on the Mount. We'll be continuing uh, the series on what it means to be uh, uh, a follower of Jesus, one who is a true disciple of him, to be a Jesus person. And uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. And I'd like to share with you on the subject, nurturing a heart of joyful obedience. Uh, I've been very enamored um, in my Christian walk over the last several years with a, with a book by uh, a theologian named Robert Saucy. And he wrote a book, Minding the Heart. And in that book, he says this, the heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. I think that is so true. The heart of every problem is a problem of the heart. Because as the Bible talks about a person, a Christian, the essence of who we are as a Christian is described by who are, we are in our heart. And I think that's something that is, is a, a natural thing for us in our 21st century. Maybe you've heard the phrase, oh, bless your heart. You heard that? Or that athlete has heart. Or they had a heart-to-heart -heart talk. You know, we, we reveal who we are and then sit down. Let's have a heart-to-heart. -heart. Uh, the heart is in the right place. Uh, we say that when someone does something that's kind of screwy and you say, well, but their heart was in the right place. Or we say, I mean it from the bottom of my heart. You've got to believe me from the bottom of my... We're talking about who I am, the essence of who I am, my heart and I'd like to suggest that the heart is the place in which the soul is at home with itself. Uh, that the center, the all-embracing term that describes our psychological makeup is the Christian heart. Uh, the Bible talks about that. Uh, listen to some verses of Scripture. Uh, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Proverbs 3, 5. We are to forgive from our heart. The Holy Spirit moves in our heart to express praises to God. We, we had worship from our heart today, and wasn't it wonderful to get below the surface and connect with God from our heart? The goal of discipleship is to love God from the heart. The heart can speak for the person. True self-knowledge comes when we understand our heart Hebrews chapter 4 says. And then Proverbs summarizes it with this statement. Above all, guard your heart. Why? Because 
everything you do flows from your heart. And so what's in our heart is of prime importance. Today and next Sunday, I have the privilege of bringing the word of God to us. And my intent is to encourage us to nurture our hearts, to have a heart that is on fire for Jesus and a heart that joyfully obeys Jesus, who alone is worthy of our praise and worship. And so the title of my message this week, as well as next week, is Nurturing a Heart of Joyful Obedience. As we progress verse by verse through the Sermon on the Mount, uh, Jesus begins to talk about the ethics of life. And he declares to his followers that they must live a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And we might say, whoa, that's a tall order. I mean, these guys were experts in the law. They set the standard. They set the bar. They're the ones who have really got it all together. It's impossible for us to live a life better than them. But Jesus is not impressed. Because while the religious leaders of his day were scrupulous regarding the outward conduct of the law, Jesus is concerned with the heart intent of the law. So beginning in chapter 5, verse 21, six times Jesus makes these statements. You have heard that it was said, but I say unto you. Jesus is in these six passages that we'll be discussing over the next six weeks, is demonstrating his authority over the law. He is correcting a misrepresentation of the law, or he is warning against the addition that the law never meant to require, or he is teaching the true intent of the law that was missed because of the sinfulness of those in authority. And in making the distinction between those who follow him and those who are expressing like the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, he says this to us. Since Jesus fulfills the law, those who trust in him will likewise fulfill the law. Why? Because we are following Jesus and we are following the heart of Jesus. As we have a relationship with him, we as followers rest in him and thus have peace before the law. There is now therefore no condemnation. We abide in him and we serve him and we love him, which is a joy and not a burden. Why? Because we fulfill the law in him. As we take his yoke upon us and as we learn and abide in him, we find rest from the, all the guilt and manipulation that happens when we focus only on the outward appearances of the law. So when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, he unveils his authority in interpreting the law. And that's what everybody understood. In chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, Matthew records, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not 
as their scribes because the scribes, all they cared about was the outward appearance. Jesus went deeper than that, and therefore he was displaying his ultimate authority in Christian livings. So the first two times Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, but I say unto you, he discusses the importance not only of outward behavior, but of the inward condition of the heart. This week, we'll talk about a heart free from anger. Next week, we'll talk about a heart free from sexual lust. So let's begin today, a heart free from anger found in Matthew chapter 5, beginning worth 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you'll be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Well, last summer, we learned that the sixth commandment, thou shalt not murder, referred to premeditated aggression that results in taking somebody's life. That's murder. And Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, if you murder, you're going to be held to judgment. That's true. Um, Don't murder, okay? But in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes beyond that to the condition of one's heart. We may avoid the act of taking someone's life, but Jesus said there is more. The fuller meaning is if you are angry with a person in your heart, not only will you be accountable to the law, but you know, if you let that go, you might actually fall into some type of a behavior that causes a person loss, even the loss of life. You know, in 21st century culture, we are living in an epidemic of anger. It seems everywhere we go, someone's angry. Our political system no longer sits and talks about ideas. Our political system is determined by whoever can shout the loudest. It's unfortunate. We are learning that the way to deal with life is to be angry. You've all heard of road rage. There's a new phenomena called air rage. That is angry outbursts of passengers on airplane flights. It's called air rage. People fight with fellow passengers literally (laughs) when they incline their seats too far or put their feet in the aisles or talk too loudly, or have children who cry. 
People fight with ticket personnel when flights are delayed or canceled. They shoot the messenger. In 1997, airplane pilots and flight attendants reported 66 incidences of air rage. Two years later, in 1997, there were 534 incidences of air rage. In 2021, there were 5,000 recorded incidences of air rage just in domestic flights. 85% of flight attendants reported dealing with an unruly passenger in 2021. 85%. The debris created by anger, especially in the home, is tragic. The U.S. Surgeon General has stated that domestic violence is the number one health crisis among women. Anger in the home. Today, one-third of all women who come to the emergency room are victims of abuse. In our text today, you have heard that it was said, anyone who murders will be subject to appropriate judgment is true. But as we read the rest of the passage, we get the impression that there are those who suggested that, well, as long as you don't take somebody's life, you're okay. Even if you're full of anger and hate and bitterness and malicious intent, just don't murder the person. Jesus is not impressed. He's just not impressed. If these attitudes are in your heart, he says, you're just as guilty as if you took that person's life. Now that is a standard of righteousness greater than the Pharisees and teachers of the law. This gets to the heart, not just to outward behavior. There are three words that Jesus uses to describe someone whose heart is full of murder. Verse 22, there's unrighteous anger and frustration. This word means simply to get upset with somebody. This word means to be generally frustrated and, and uh, if our pride has been pricked and someone uh, does something that causes us an inconvenience or someone who has caused us discomfort, we just generally get angry with someone. This is talking about the sports parent who is mad at the ref or mad at the coach because their child is not being given the treatment that they feel that that child deserves, and actually it's because they want to live their life through that child and become successful like as an athlete that they were never able to do it. They're trying to live through their child, and when that coach and when that referee interferes with that, they're angry. You know, I have to confess that there are times when um, I myself get angry and frustrated. Um, there was uh, a time when my wife and I were having a tay-to-tay, you know, at home. You ever had that? Your husband and wife. And, and she wanted me to do something that I thought it really wasn't necessary to do. But she really wanted me to do it. And I said, honey, I'd be delighted to do that. And so I got in my truck, and I started coming to the office. The telephone rings. It's my wife. 
Now, I want to make sure that you be sure to do this, and will you, will you handle that? Yes, honey, I said I'd be glad to do it. Okay, well, just give me reassurance that, that you'll really do this. And I said, I'll give you reassurance. Honey, I love you. I'll do this. I'm glad to do it. Well, my technical abilities sometimes leave a little bit to be desired, and uh, I thought I hung up my telephone. And I said under my breath, that woman sometimes drives me crazy. <laughs> and I hear on the phone, I heard that. <laughs> well, thankfully, she is a gracious person, and we laughed about that. Rather than her being hurt and angry with me, she understood that sometimes, you know, I'm not as patient in, in things, and she understood that, and we had a good laugh about it. But, you know, if we have a frustration like that in our homes, and if we leave it there and we don't do anything about it, it could grow into the next level that Jesus describes. And that's found in verse 22, where Jesus says, you fool. Um, I think the Aramaic word there is raka. Have you ever, you know, some of your translations have the word raka. That's uh, an Aramaic word that means imbecile. It refers to someone's intellectual capacity. Like, empty-headed, or nitwit, or numbskull, or airhead. Uh, the Peanuts cartoon characters, children, called Charlie Brown, remember? You blockhead. And it's an insult to them. It's how people, um, it's a message that causes people to feel shameful about themselves. And if this happens in the home, and it's not checked, and it's just left out there. Children can grow up wounded and hurt and damaged in their life as they grow up. Actually, people who are on the other end of it are not laughing. A coach can deal, be frustrated with an athlete and call him, you stupid, can't you learn this play? They get on the court and they take them out of the court and they chew them out, call them names. Or a teacher trying to instruct a student and embarrass him in front of his class. Why would you think such a thing? And people slip into being wounded and it hurts. They didn't, they didn't physically harm him, but Jesus says, you may as well. Anger in your heart that's just left there leaves a wreckage behind. And then he takes us to the next level of degrading judgment of one's character, accusing them of being possibly uh, their integrity is no good. And, and you pose the sense that they are less than a person. There's, there's this progression that goes that if it's left undone, if there's anger in your heart and you leave it there, then the fallout is just as bad as if you actually harmed another person. General anger, if left attended, goes to personal insult. If left attended, 
goes to degradation of another person's character. And if left to tendon, who knows where it'll go? Well, actually, Jesus knows exactly where it will go. And I think Jesus knew very well the story of Cain and Abel back in the book of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, open them with me to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel, verse 1. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I've gotten a man with the help of the Lord, and a keeper and Again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain, a worker of the ground. This passage describes how Adam and Eve, after they left the Garden of Eden, started a family. And I can imagine a family with two brothers, two boys growing up, they probably squabbled with each other. Uh, I'm sure that they, have, they fought and had angry and conflicts with each other. And uh, something happened beginning with verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also bought on the firstborn of his flock of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain, his offering had no regard. So Cain was very angry. And his face fell. Both Cain and Abel brought offerings of worship to the Lord. And the offering from Abel was accepted, but Cain's was rejected. And so Cain became angry. He had this inner boil towards his brother. He became downcast, and his behavior changed. And on the surface, he was okay, but under the surface, there was a volcano ready to erupt. Well, let's examine just for a moment, why was Cain's offering not accepted by the Lord? We don't know specifically, but we have a pretty good idea from the writer to the Hebrews. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we begin by verse 4. It says, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Verse 6, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. I think from these verses, we can surmise that Abel offered a sacrifice that was by faith, that was through faith because his heart was right before God. Cain's offering was not acceptable to God because his heart was not acceptable before God. And Cain had anger in his heart. Abel, on the other hand, was right with God and his acceptance offering was acceptable. Now, I think there's a principle here, and that is if we follow our anger back, why, why was I angry about Why did that make me so angry? And we go backward, we'll get to our heart, 
and we'll find that there's something in our heart that's not right with God that is causing there to be anger. And Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount with a big expression of urgency says, you got to get a hold of your anger because if you don't, there's going to be wreckage and it's going to be just as though you actually harmed the other person. So what does God do with Cain? Well, God graciously, even as Jesus graciously challenged him. And he said in verse 6 of Genesis chapter 4, Why are you angry, and why has your face fallen? If you do well, you'll be accepted. And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. You must rule it. That's what Jesus is saying. If you've got anger in your heart, you're going to destroy somebody. There's going to be wreckage somewhere. Someone's life is going to be destroyed. You're going to hurt somebody. You see, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount is very concerned about urgency of dealing with the anger we have in our lives. Because if someone has got anger in their heart and they just let it go, it could explode. You see, someone who says, well, I haven't hurt anybody, but boy, do I have... Jesus says, whoa, you're playing with fire here. Don't let that smolder. Well, I'm not going to hurt him physically. Well, Jesus, you may as well. Because the way you treat somebody is going to cause wreckage behind you if you just become an angry person. Do you know an angry person? Jesus says, be careful about being an angry person. Get below to the heart. Deal with your heart. Don't allow anger to fester. Because if you do, there is going to be wreckage somewhere in your future. And you may even, like Cain, kill his brother, which he did. And we learn from verse 8, sinful rage and anger the natural outgrowth of Cain's bitterness erupted and he killed his brother. Well, what do we do with this? Well, Jesus doesn't just tell us don't do something. He also offers us some solutions. Just as God graciously came to Cain, Cain, there's anger in there. You got to deal with it. Jesus comes to us and says, beloved Christian, there's anger there and you need to deal with it. So here's what you do. Beginning with verse 23 and 24, Jesus tells us the first thing that we do. If you're offering your gift at the altar and then remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother. 
then come and offer your gift. This is a very well-known principle in Jewish theology. If you don't forgive your brother, God will not accept your offering. It's in the, it's in the Day of Atonement rituals, the teaching on the Day of Atonement. If you come and offer a sin sacrifice to God and you lay your hand on that sacrificial animal, the first thing you do is you confess your sins over that animal. And if one of those sins is that you have hurt somebody because of your anger, you are to confess that. But if you don't, Jesus says, might as well leave you might as well leave that animal right there. But there's a better solution. Why don't you leave your animal and go and reconcile? Your anger was out of control and you hurt somebody. Your anger was out of control and you hurt your children. Go apologize to your kids. Don't take communion until you apologize to your kids. You're serving on the worship team and an ABF, and you say, look at how wonderful my service is. Jesus says, don't do that if you just abused your wife, if you just laid her out with criticism and harsh stock and maybe even pushed her around a little bit, stay home from church. Go to your wife. Reconcile with your wife. Jesus says, get below the surface. I'm not concerned about all your outward rituals of how wonderful servant you are. That's what the Pharisees taught. Jesus says, get below the surface. Get to the heart and deal with your anger. But then Jesus says something else that scholars have struggled with a little bit. He goes on in verse 25. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. Context here is talking about debt. Context is here talking about money. How can a person who is an angry person run a business with any ethics? I don't think you can. It's the ethical businessman who people know they can trust the people know that will work with them, who is gracious and offers good services and, and loves the people who are his customer, but the angry businessman burns bridges. And the angry person looks for ways to cut corners. And the angry person says, this person doesn't deserve a fair deal. I'm going to take them for all they're worth. Eventually, I think Jesus is saying, that's going to catch up with you. There are instances in uh, Jewish writings where a citizen can grab a hold of someone by the tunic and drag them to court until they pay their debt. And Jesus said, that's going to happen to you 
why don't you reconcile? Why don't you go make it right? Why don't you, why don't you do a fair business deal? Why don't you pay your debts before it's too late? But then there are some scholars who say there's another thing in this passage that I think we need to consider. And that is that we as people sometimes amass debts before God. And they mount up and they mount up and they mount up and then it's too late to do anything about them. I think Jesus here is saying, get right with God. Get below the surface. It's more than outward conduct. Before it's too late, be reconciled to God. And if we do that, we can be free from the clutches of anger and we can begin to live a life of joyful obedience before him. May I conclude with a passage from the book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Paul writes, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Stop it. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Do you see what he's saying here? You got anger in your life? Stop. Turn around and begin to live lovingly, kind-hearted, gentle, forgiving. That's what Jesus says will get you free. That's his love, his message to us. My friends, may I ask you a question? Has God been dealing with you about the way you treat somebody else? Maybe some dads who have abused their children. Maybe a big brother abused a little brother. Maybe a little brother abused his big sister. Maybe her husband has pushed his wife around a little bit too much. Don't play games with God. Get right with God. Go and be reconciled. Do fair business deals. Get genuine from the heart. Well, I didn't hurt anybody. Yes, you did. Father in heaven, I pray that you speak to our hearts now. What is it that you're doing in our hearts? Have you brought something to mind that is lingering? Are we consumed with anger that we hurt people around us? Have I done something to hurt somebody else? God, my first plea is that you would forgive me, restore me, give me your grace, be my advocate. And then, Lord, I commit before this day is over, I will go and reconcile. At least begin the process. Try to open up conversation. Try to have a heart-to-heart -heart 
with those with whom there is anger in my life. And God, Lord Jesus, thank you for your grace in coming to us and confronting us with this. For just as you went to Cain and said, you better get a handle on your sin, now you're coming to us. May we not ignore you like Cain did. May you work in our lives and give us freedom from anger and help us to enter into the life of joyful obedience before you. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together, please, for closing prayer. If uh, you need to talk about anything, um, I'll be here after we're done today. I'm sure our elders will be here. Stephen ministers will be here. We'd love to talk with you about anything that God may have spoken to your heart about today. And now unto him who is able to do abundantly above all that we might think or imagine, according to the power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, and God's people said, amen. Amen. God bless. Have a great day is our prayer. Hey, friends, thanks for joining us online today. If you have further questions, are in need of prayer, or would like to give financially to the ministries of Lakes Free Church, I encourage you to visit our website, lakesfree.org. There you'll also find information regarding our upcoming events. You can access all of our past sermon series, along with a host of other valuable resources. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us in person for one of our Sunday services or other events. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us, and may God bless you.